welcome to a bonus episode of Escape This Podcast. I know we don't usually do bonuses in like the middle of an arc, we've just sort of sandwiched it into our timeline, but it's a fun event. Uh, we are doing a special Broom Escape artist interview show, which means we are joined by the Spirus from Broom Escape Artist. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We are here to hijack your show. I'm really disappointed. I was going to make klaxon noises if you gave the regular intro. <laughs> I, I was all ready to do it. And he's ready to put on the Max Headroom taking over your TV alarm. Yeah. That's a, that's a reference people get, right? Yeah. That I get, I that have, I'm not just vaguely pulling from I that. have heard those words before. I, I get that. Lisa doesn't. Yeah, good. <laughs> I legitimately, I have heard those words before, but I don't know what, I, I yeah. Max Headroom has a very complicated history. Um... <laughs> Probably not worth going into right now. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so this is like an interview episode of Escape This Podcast. You've got questions. You've sourced some questions for us. Yeah. So we reached out to our readers, your listeners, and we asked them what they wanted to ask you. And we also had a whole ton of questions ourselves that we've been wanting to ask you because we admire your work and you guys are really private people, and so we decided to just rip you out into public and put you on display. On now, your I want to say that we're I want to say that we're not private people, but we did get like two years into our show, like emails being oh, like, that's "Are true. you siblings?" So, <laughs> so you know, I suppose maybe we that are. Does make a point. Well, it's not intentional, so feel free to lift the veil today. I was worried there wouldn't be any questions because if someone sends us an email, I'll say anything back. <laughs> yeah, but they don't share them with everybody else. They're not all in one group. We've got more than two listeners. That's fair. So let's, let's, let's start this off. Let's dive in first, really into the deep end. Escape This Podcast has a structure where Danny more or less knows everything and Bill more or less knows nothing. Hmm. <laughs> If we're peeling back the process of Escape This Podcast, what does the behind-the-scenes dynamic look like? And is Bill really a dummy? <laughs> I'm not a dummy. For the, yeah, for the total process of designing the room, Bill will hardly hear a thing about it. It is almost exclusively me curled up on the couch with a notebook, occasionally complaining. I might say something like, Billy, there are lights. I need to come up with a puzzle that has lights in it. But that's the extent of it. That is all he will hear. Oh, uh, what's a pun? Just yeah, more any often pun. It's, a, it's a question with no context, <laughs> which you still expect me to give an answer to. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, what's a good animal? I'll go, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. A, like a donkey? Put a donkey in. And then you, you did. did. Oh and then my you God. put a donkey in. But lately, so for the most, oh, well, for the most recent, basically half of the show, ever since season two, three, yeah. or something like that. Um, Bill has been my constant playtester. Anytime I'm not doing the room on mm. air. And that has been a huge, huge help because for the first two seasons it was largely going in blind. For some reason I decided the entire first arc series could be done playtestless. That was a miserable <laughs> mistake. But So this just means that he gets a week or two advance notice of the things that go on in the room and his critique and changes are unbelievably valuable. So it comes from a really weird place to hear that he might be considered the dummy <laughs> because 
yeah, when he goes through and solves the puzzles, the way that his brain works means that any changes that need to be made to make it more effective all come from him. That's good. Well, I mean, surely they would at that point because you've already designed it. Like, you're not going to come up with the changes or you would have already changed it. Oh, eh. That's it. I think that's fairly fair. But no, yeah, so when I'm playing, I definitely don't have any idea. Like, sometimes I think I've occasionally been accused of, like, already knowing what's going to happen in the room or the arc <laughs> or whatever. And even when we play test, in terms of, like, when we were play testing, like, Chronomaly, our most recent season, where there are... Um, reveals and things in like the opening and the closing moments of episodes uh often i wouldn't know those until the recording day danny would cut out all the story and we'd just play test the room and the puzzles and to be like and then story stuff happens and i'd be like all right cool like let's not go through that so i get to share that experience with the players even if i've play tested the puzzles for that room but i think that's been fun because we've started recording the play test as well they're our patreon bonus episodes and so people who listen can like hear a lot of like the puzzle breakdown when we get to a point that things stop working and, and, and start like redesigning puzzles. Although occasionally we then do that over the course of a few days afterwards so it doesn't make the, the recording. Danny, I want to go back to the very first sentence of your answer. You said you were on the couch with a notebook. A notebook, <laughs> yes, not a computer. Oh, absolutely. Typing is the last thing that I think of. You seem to Billy, be looking around for my pile of notebooks. Where is, we, have, we have a notebook that has every single room that you've designed pretty much since the beginning of the, yeah, it the goes, show in one notebook. Yep, just one Harry Potter-themed notebook that was given to me as a Christmas present from our graphic designer, which is lovely. And yeah, it has... Room one, all the way up to some of the guest designed rooms from our most recent season. You finally emptied that notebook. Or like yeah, filled, filled the it notebook. up. It's uh, finally run out of pages. Yeah. Yeah, I do everything notebook wise. Like even creative writing stuff, I always go notebook first. Computer is a very last resort. Typing things, eh, it feels more, much more like work, but a notebook feels like you're playing around. I and love that's much that more fun. because I'm also a notebook inclined person <laughs> and we have notebooks full of our notes on all the escape rooms that we mm -hmm. played and then typed into reviews. Yeah. So I get it. Every single awesome. note that we have on all of the games we've reviewed, like 900 something games um, are, are existing in notebooks that are just sitting. We have a whole <laughs> shelf of room escape artist notebooks that Lisa has filled over the years. <laughs> Do you ever get the same problem that I do where you just leave yourself a note, but it is a one or two word thing, and then you have to go back to it and translate that, and oh man. I have one that I've just got on a piece of paper, and it says act man. One word, act man. <laughs> I don't have a clue what that means. It <laughs> happens to me all the time, and then I ask David what it means. And sometimes I remember. The, the thing where it really <laughs> happens to us is when we, there reached a point where we stopped putting like expansive ideas into reviews because we were like we wrote this brilliant thing or at least we thought it was brilliant into the middle of some random review from some game that we played <laughs> in some random city mm. and so instead now we go and we do a piece on that and then we before the review and then we just reference it in the post but what this means is especially when we're traveling i'll get an idea for something and i'll be like hey lisa we need to post on such and such and she'll just write that down in the margin somewhere and then we ah. get home and we're both like what that mean <laughs> yeah, that that tends to happen to me most when we're doing the playtests because that's when I just open up that notebook page and find one tiny corner that I haven't written on for that room and start making the tiny two-word notes. Mm. And God, hope that they make sense later. <laughs> so 
when you're designing a game, Danny, do you do you when you're do you lay it out physically? Like, do you draw it out in, in that notebook or is it all in text? No, I always go picture and I tend to start with the picture. So coming up with what the room is going to be, like what the actual location is going to be is the first thing I think of, just coming up with a space that feels like there is potential for a story there. Then I will simultaneously draw it out and draw in the things that should be in that space and try to come up with what is a plot that could fit in there and then use that to draw in a couple more fun elements that could fit in. The picture... I don't know how important it is for my process exactly, but I really like seeing it there. I, I definitely have to have a picture for every room. And how many guests have sent you their real-time drawings? Not as many as I want. <laughs> People are really afraid that, I don't know, I'm going to judge stick figures or something. <sighs> like, that's not what mine look like. That's why I make an effort when uh, with our $10 Patreon donors uh we send them out badges and cards and i make sure every new donor gets a picture that i have drawn and maybe that'll make them feel better about sending in their own <laughs> based on the quality of the pictures <laughs> is it bad that i never had that thought when i sent scribbles over i them? was so happy oh no that was great that was yeah your notes... that's still on our fridge yeah because you sent us like the actual physical notes that you had drawn you mailed us your and that was lovely like that is very that is still on our fridge uh, held up by by room escape artist magnets. Uh, so, yeah, I cannot emphasize enough how happy it makes me to see people's drawings. So, who has sent you the the best, the finest drawing? Oh, oh that's well, there's no doubt the, the best the best drawings was from uh, back uh, like in episode season two. seven of season two. We had uh, Katie Oldworth on, who is a Cartoon Network animator and and. Like she, she works in, now. She's been working on Craig of the Creek for a long time and does some really phenomenal work. So she's a professional illustrator. Um, you look at her drawings and you don't understand how she was simultaneously solving puzzles and talking yes. on a podcast. Based on the drawings she sent of her notes that she was doodling while playing, you would have expected her to not speak at all in the episode. They're phenomenal. They're great. Random scenes that happen where she's sitting in a director's chair with a boar skull over her head and doing all this. And it's like, it's beautiful. It's every single person has been compared ill favorably to those notes. Yeah, this is forever. definitely going to make people send them to us. <laughs> well, so you'll be able to find a a link below where you can where you can actually see a picture of this drawing. I, again, I'm hijacking your whole show. Yeah, I have to make that link. Thanks. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when it comes to your typical episode, what's the balance of pre-planning versus improvisation? Ugh. <laughs> Danny hates improvisation. Improv is a dirty word to me. It always has been. I've always <laughs> loved drama, but never been into the improv thing. So for me, I try to write up everything. I definitely have the intro word for word, the conclusion, the wrap up everything word for word, um, descriptions of all of the items and as many actions that players might take as I can think of. Um, so I will try to include like, oh, cool. So obviously... If you put the right code into the lock, here's what happens. And I will have all pre-written what goes on in that case. But there are also some cases where I think 
this might be a common mistake or something that they might try to do too early in the room or something like that. I will have to pre-plan what to say in those cases. I try to leave as little room for improv as possible. This, like, this reminds me of when we were setting up the website for Recon. We wrote an FAQ that was very extensive. And the funny thing was we hadn't announced this thing yet. There were no asked questions. We were just like, <laughs> these are these are us anti like frequently anticipated questions. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that but definitely feels true. That said, like I want to I have learned a bit more about the little bits that you can't help but improv. Because obviously people are players are going to come up with things that you didn't anticipate and learning to deal with those. It's a big process. Um Often that process involves being comfortable saying no, we which had, again, that's anti-improv normally. We had like an but... entire Danny's kind of character arc that was taking place <laughs> in real life over a season of you learning not just to say no, but how to say no in a way that is fun for everybody. Because sometimes it, sometimes fun, but the not best misleading. joke or the best moment for the show is someone going, can I do this weird thing? And you're just going, no doesn't work <laughs> like that in itself is is like a fun mm. moment like th it's one of those weird moments where you can you know people like the, the classic thing for improv is you know it's always oh, yes and but sometimes the yes is a no because by saying no you're accepting their idea in the manner it was put forward which is this is silly and it's going to fail and the end of this joke is you coming in and saying no so the yes ending is shooting it down but and but like also, getting used to that. Is, so is, much is, wisdom. It's, it's, it's really, it's fun. If you yes and someone in a puzzle game and they're totally off, off base, then you're just manufacturing oh. a red herring and you're making exactly. it worse and harder for them. And even then, if you say the wrong kind of no, that can happen. Like if you try to fumble around the no and try to excuse why it doesn't work too much, mm. then they can try to come up with a solution to yes, that, that not working. That was, I think, something that you did a little bit. You were kind yeah. of like, people would say, oh, does the window open? You say, oh, yeah, look, it's not it's not fully locked, so you try and get it open, and but it's jammed, and so it, and they're like, oh, this is all important clues. And yeah. it's just, instead of just, no, nope, window's sealed, Exactly, And it is fun. I enjoy more than just saying no or trying to fumble. I enjoy just playing with the meta, like saying... Uh, like coming up with key phrases mm. that sort of imply it's not important. Like, let's say no. Yeah. If you say let's say, that means it was not important. Let's say it's important because it makes them go, we are now not in my notes. I am coming up with this on the spot and therefore probably is not the solution to a puzzle. Yeah, that's that's my warning light to people that they're going to start getting off script Danny and it's going to start mm. crumbling. Have Numbers you, are the same as well. Have people you ever say, been, oh, how many oh, of these yeah. are yours? Oh, a large amount that's more than you could count. Yeah. Like, that means shut up. <laughs> Have you ever been so blindsided by a player action that your re your reaction made the whole thing run off the rails? Oh, goodness. Has that ever happened? I don't think it has. I think you pretty much know what's going to happen. I think that's been pretty comfortable. The only things that I think that have gone off the rails more than I expected would be if the room's storyline, I give people a choice at the end. Often the choice that people make won't be what I expect them to do. Just like things like uh, you and Neil in the magician's room, I give you a choice at the end. Do you want to run up on stage and expose the magician or not do that? And you decided to go to a bar or something. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. But I think you so like I approached them after bring the show the to expose them but in a less public yeah, place. Yeah, something like that. I didn't expect like exactly secret, that. It was a blackmail exposure. <laughs> So I was a, all right, um, okay. 
let's try not to make it too obvious which parts of this conclusion are scripted and which <laughs> parts up. aren't. Well, you did well. Really? Really? Okay. Because <laughs> I've definitely found that to be one of the other things that I've had to learn, and I still don't think I've succeeded as much as I would like to, uh, which is when reading scripted things, you know how people... Some people are really talented at reading a scripted thing and making it sound cool and not too scripted and like they just happen to be a super eloquent person. I have not hit that. I still <laughs> feel very much like I sound like I'm reading a script and I would love to get to that new stage. This this reminds me of the first time that we played with you and it was the the scene in the season finale of of uh mm. of season 2 with the gorilla where I thought I was just being <laughs> like an obnoxious role-playing <laughs> game player, like you know, you offered out, you mentioned an object, and I'm just going to go and do something silly with it because I can, and it has nothing to do with the plot. And you actually intended all of that, and that was. I mean, we've talked about this before, but that was the moment where I was just like, "Y'all are brilliant." <laughs> um, this is, it's the it's the moment where it, Danny, where like at the end of the thing, Danny reaches under the desk and there's a sealed envelope dated, like <laughs> mailed from two weeks ago, and she opens it and it says, "David will take the gorilla," and you're like, "Ha ha!" Ironically, the magic trick that still baffles me more than any other. <laughs> uh, I I swear I thought I was just being silly <laughs> for the sake of being entertaining for your audience. Mm. Yeah. That's that's fun. And honestly, that can be one of the things that's hard to get in a real life escape room. Is a feeling of like do something silly and then it turns out it's correct? I think so, because in a real physical escape room, objects are either just put there as decoration or they are there for a reason. But I feel like it is very rare for someone to become enamored with one of the decorative things to the point where they'll carry it around with them. And then, and then have it turn useful. out to be relevant. I don't mm. know if I've had that. Oh, costumes, yeah, that's true. Yes. Some Although costumes. We've told this story before. Our first encounter with costumes, we went, oh, these costumes are cool. Let's take them off and put them down because they're a little bit annoying. And then we put them over important clues to solve puzzles and therefore got stuck halfway through the room because our <laughs> hats were on top of the puzzle. So <laughs> don't, don't talk to us about Careful costumes. That was, that was a wound. <laughs> so um, in that episode that we recorded with you, I mean, David was trying to be an entertaining podcast guest. Mm. What do you feel makes a strong Escape This Podcast guest? I think one of the things, which I was going to mention uh, in the improv section, I think something that's a really good example of how to be a good guest on a puzzle show like this was uh, halfway through Culloden's when we had Hey Riddle Riddle on the show. Because they were improving and joking and, and coming up with stupid character stuff and building all these jokes and running and ramping, you know. But they had a good understanding of pace because they never let, like, we never had to wriggle, like, rein them in back to a puzzle. They knew, mm. like, we have been going for about 40 seconds. We should probably do the next step of the puzzle now. And they would move back in. And their silliness was tangential to solving the puzzle. They were never improving stuff that affected the way to do a puzzle, the outcome of it, or the like the structure of the room or what Absolutely. things meant. They, they made all of their kind of silliness within their own characters or within stuff that they knew wasn't going to break the game. So they had a respect for the game and the puzzles that they were doing while still being free to like play yeah. around. And I think that's the best feeling. And because most of our guests are, we're not, we very rarely get people who like don't enjoy puzzles. So 
like an, a willingness to engage earnestly and then be silly is like the key, yeah. is what you want. I feel like, um, and I've noticed this having just played an entire season, sometimes getting very, very stuck. The temptation to use those stuck moments to deflect to humour and then just go, cool, now we'll go off topic because I have no idea what's going on. But that's not very helpful. That will not help you get back. And I feel like that's definitely a very big difference. Like using the humour, but definitely mm. secondary to it and not having it. There's a nice moment. Mm. There's a window when you know the solution, but you think there's time. I can, I can let this solution yes. sit for a little bit. So here's where I'm going to play. Like, I know I have to go from point A to point B. I know exactly where that is now. So I'm just going to do like a quick go up to C and down to D and up to E and, and then just hit B mm. because I now know where I'm going. So I know that I have space. But if you start to get really silly when you don't know where you're going, it can be like, okay, but after I've finished this bit, what am I going to do? Yes. I don't have a, a direction. I should figure out my direction <laughs> that first. That can feel a little flat. Someone can in character solve a puzzle. Like, you know, there are stories and everything. Often people's characters are a little bit still up in the air they can be themselves or just some version of themselves but if they can get into some form of the character but solving puzzles as that character i really enjoy mm. that but there is there is that aspect there are like there are guests that i think like as entertainers and i won't go into who they are because there's, there's a few of them there are like entertainers i know who be like oh they would be so fun to do something with but i don't know if i can like trust them to engage with the media in the right format like yeah. it's something that you like you know they're like certain comedians and certain people who you're like they would be hilarious but i don't know how Probably they not would for this show engage earnestly with the material so i'm not gonna like approach them to do an episode or something when uh, we were preparing to go on your show the first time we listened to every single episode that you had aired leading up to ours and we, we split them in half and we we both kind of took notes and compared with each other and we were looking to figure out what makes a good guest for escape this podcast like what will make us not be a disaster a bunch of nerds oh we are, we are was... we're so we we, we did yeah, our homework thank you for the effort that's amazing we were planning recon yeah and we had time to <laughs> had time yeah there was time to study <laughs> and um, how different was your conclusion from it, all very, of the rambling very... we just gave it's very similar. We basically came up with two rules and they had an order. The first rule was you have to solve competently. And the second rule was you have to try to be entertaining. That, that was where we, we were like, how can we, we don't know exactly how we're going to do that, but that's the balance we need to strike. And I think that you articulated it very clearly. What we, I hadn't heard it articulated before. We didn't get to that, but we got to those two rules and we were like, somehow we have to make that work. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, I enjoy it just as a personal thing because, you know, this is still writing. This is still creative writing. And that is still one of those little personal things. So if someone just does show some sort of genuine engagement with any facet of the room, if they are making it clear that they have some emotional connection, whether that be through a humor way or something more heartfelt, like there's an animal in the room and they just love that animal, that makes me really happy. Mm. Do you ever have guests that need an incredible amount of editing to pull the episode together? I mean, there's, there's different reasons that you might need to do a lot of editing. So obviously, look, there's technical reasons that I've had to do a huge amount of editing before. Um, sometimes there are, and I think it sometimes depends on the dynamic between guests. Um, 
like one of the ones that required like a, a lot of editing uh, was, for example, and absolutely not an issue with the guest uh, uh, herself. When we had recently uh, yeah. our first solo play for a long time, we had Gemma Marsh from uh, GM the GM, uh, which is a kind of escape room podcast. Um, and she played a room solo. And that was a very heavily edited room because when you have two people, they both articulate their thoughts for the audience quite well and there are constantly things happening. But one person is so liable to, like, fall into their own brain because there's no one they're solving with. So that was a difficult edit. Um, occasionally we've had guests who uh, find it more difficult to abide by the no swearing rule. Uh, <laughs> so that one requires a little bit of editing. I um, can't think of anything off the top of my head where it's an, oh, those people were so stupid it took them three hours no, to get out of the room. generally that's not an editing issue. It's a... Mm -hmm. It's a on-air kind of guest wrangling issue. It's the frequency of what you hint and how you hint and like, where the, like mm. how you kind of push them in directions while you're running the show. You know, so if there are people who need more hinting, we will hint in a different way than if they're people who require less. True. You know, if there's people who aren't as funny uh, by themselves and are really good at puzzles... You know, you'll be jump like we'll be jumping in to do more kind of silly stuff to round out the the flavor of the episode. Mm. If there's some people who are really funny but find it hard to stay on track with puzzles, it'll be occasionally like this. Oh, okay, but yeah, but mm, how do you do this though? Mm, yeah, but yeah. What then about I start this? to feel like a teacher. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know. All right, boys and girls, settle down. Now let's get back to the problem. Um, I will say I I can't think of anything off the top of my head where I think oh those people uh, they needed so much help with no. everything. There, it's much more likely to be the case where there is just one puzzle and maybe even occasionally I'll think, man, how did it take them that long? It wasn't that hard, especially with that hint. Again, rarely, but I'm sure that's come up. Oh, I'm sure. But that's just the way sometimes people's brains are in the wrong space for a Absolutely. certain puzzle. And most of the time I will put that on me anyway. I will just go, oh, man, I was not communicating with them well enough. But in general, like, I guess, like, the guests that we have found run through rooms really well. And I think it's a testament we to are. how well-designed your rooms are. Oh, uh, well, uh, I mean, and, and also that we, we have a slightly guest we have a curated list. guest list in, in certain ways. Like, like I was saying before, there are certain people who, I have avoid, who I've thought, I really like these people, I really like their work, I haven't approached them in any way to be on the show because I don't know if they would be a good fit. And maybe that's not, maybe that's not deserved. Maybe, maybe you're be prejudiced. Or maybe it's a, just a good call in terms of knowing this exact structure our show takes. Prejudiced against absurdist comedians. Maybe. <laughs> um, but it's also true that sometimes we don't. We've been very lucky. Like, we've had a whole bunch of guest rooms. We've, we're doing an entire season of guest rooms right now, and we didn't vet those at all. We just oh, went, oh, yeah. you got a room? Come on. And they... are all great. We haven't been let down at all by a guest GM ever. No. It's amazing. And clearly shows how easy my job is. <laughs> <laughs> and Independent of us, we actually had nothing to do with this. You have one of your episodes this season is Room, Room Escape artist writer Sarah Wilson, who uh, is just a brilliant <laughs> writer. Uh, we were Absolutely. we were surprised to find out that she she was doing this. Uh, uh, <laughs> she went behind your back. Oh yeah, uh, we were, we're we're so proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> that was great fun. That On a, a side nice note, one. which probably won't make the episode, have you played that room? Have, we, has she run that room for you? We have not. She offered, but um, we have. We not said had... hold, please, until after recon. Yeah, we basically well, were like, we, we want to do this. Just which is like the stock answer these days. Yeah, we we've held <laughs> up so many things until after recon that I think our September is going to be just as busy as the previous four. I'm months. starting to think that. <laughs> yeah. 
that's, that's fair. fair. That episode won't come out until like that's sort that's of slightly later. Episode nine. Season, so episode nine. Episode oh nine. man, I thought it was like seven. Nah, nine. Uh, cool. Yeah, you got plenty of time. I could be making oh, that good. Up. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you feel makes a strong setting for an Escape This Podcast episode? Goodness, I, I feel like anything. Like, can if you look at the scope of stuff that you've done, Danny. I don't think there's a setting where you've, where, like, I don't think it's been, oh, of course this setting was going to be great. Like, sure, you've done, like, the Hindenburg while it's crashing. <laughs> Obviously a dynamic setting. But you've done, like, a Like three different room. bathrooms. Yeah, you've done bathrooms. You've done, I think the setting is less relevant, but what makes them all stand out is that you really focus on good narrative design. Because you can tell a story in any space. I think that's pretty well established in the in, in the world of kind of culture. Does You can tell a good story in pretty much any setting. I think it's just the fact that you focus on having a story present that makes every, it's, even things that in a real escape room, you'd be a bit scared that they were going to be boring if you went to a physical escape room and it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's a room in an office. You'd be like, oh, this might be boring. Um, but I think because you focus on that story feeling, uh, they all fit together pretty well. It definitely helps. I'm just now thinking, you know, hearing these questions, trying to make these connections in my mind that I haven't made on my own before. I'm forcing and you to I improvise. Wonder... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's all an interview is, and it's horrifying. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe why I draw out the rooms has something to do with that, because maybe I think what makes a good room for me, because I do come up with the setting before I come up with the story, only a fraction before, but still before. And I wonder if my ability to visualize objects in a space is important for thinking that a room has potential. I think that there, I think that is an important dynamic to what you do as, as a viewer and as a player, because you have to be able to picture the space, even as you're drawing it as, as, as a player, you have to have a sense of space. And if it isn't strongly present, then I imagine the whole thing would turn to mush. Yeah, uh, that's definitely a big worry with things in the audio medium in general. Someone trying to tell a story through a podcast has to have that ability to make images happen, mm. or it's painfully difficult to create that connection. But it's interesting because we know that we have had guests on the show who did well and enjoyed themselves and played through a room really well that we know have aphantasia, who cannot picture images and objects and spaces I had in no idea at the time. It's um, fascinating. So it definitely isn't necessarily I, a requirement to play right. them at the very least. Like, I, um, I have no experience with that. I find it remarkable that that's a thing that you can do. So, yeah, I guess. Well, maybe they hated it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I find it essential, but it is not an objectively essential thing. Mm. And what this also means, one other thing that I've noticed is while it can be fun to do things in quite big, expansive settings that can be really cool for real world games, they can be really difficult to not have a super narrow setting. Things like uh, the Dungeons and Dragons themed room that I did, I didn't just set it at the inn, the tavern. What do you call it in a game? A tavern. Tavern? An inn. Anyway, uh, I basically set it in the world and I had to come up with a few set locations in it. But still, you try to picture what's going on in, as you walk from one location to another. It sort of blurs. Mm. And I don't want that much blur between things. So, Do you think that's something that you would change if you went back to that room? 
Honestly, no, not for that one, because I think I said, I hope that I made it clear enough of, no, sorry, that blur is just a necessary yeah. gap between the really physical locations. Because I think the actual physical locations think, that were important yes, were and I think also that's, enough. that's evocative of playing a Dungeons and Dragons game. It's like, we're going to go to Neverwinter, and it's like, cool. You go there. It, was it takes also, three days. I now did also there. put it in canonically that it was sort of a magic road. That's true. So I think I tried to hand wave that <laughs> you away. Solved it. But I wouldn't want to do that with too many rooms. Like even with uh, the first room that you two did, that was an amusement park. That is a big location. And I think that I'm probably much more wary of big locations now. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, we we were very excited, I think, by the expansiveness of the space. It it felt really like grand and epic in a but way that I remember while I was drawing it being really unclear about how the proportions of my drawing were going to go because the <laughs> Fair space enough. was so huge. It wasn't like a room where you draw the walls of the room and you put start placing yeah. things. It was like and then the Ferris wheel, and I was like, oh, how far is the <laughs> Ferris wheel? Other side exactly. of the paper? Are you about to say and beyond the Ferris wheel is the roller coaster, and now I'll be out of paper? Yeah, mm. fair enough. I mean, we just had that problem yesterday uh, playing just some tabletop role-playing games and the current location was a travelling zoo and Bill was trying to calculate his character's throwing distance and saying, oh, cool, so 8 metres, my bonus would be this, but 16 metres, it would mm. be this. So how far am I away from the thing I'm trying to throw? And I'm like, God, it's man. a zoo. I don't know what distances <laughs> are. How big's a zoo? A travelling zoo. That feels small. Right? Yeah. It's, and they uh, pack it all up. <laughs> When when you are picking the location, what what inspiration do you actually like? Where do you look for that? Where does this get pulled from? Because your your settings are very diverse. Ooh yeah, for the standalone rooms, I don't even have a slight clue. They can come from conversations. They can come from reading a book. They can just come from literally anything. Because I tend not to sit down and come up with a list of possible locations. It is just, I have one page of that notebook that just has dot points all over it in about 10 different pens because they just came from all over the years. So those ones, no idea. For the connected arcs, I think I go a lot more pop culture-y and not even so much like stealing locations from them, but an evocative feeling that I enjoy from a piece of media and then try to feel like what location fits that. Like with was obviously Descent of the Culladins. I said from the beginning, I wanted Luigi's Mansion. Story wasn't Luigi's Mansion. The locations themselves within the house, not exactly Luigi's Mansion-y, but I wanted the overall feeling of it. And these rooms in a mansion felt like they would help bring across the feeling that I wanted to best. But yeah, so like things, one of the ones at the moment that has no set location or anything, I've just said, cool, I really like Shakespeare. I want to somehow do Shakespeare. I have no idea how that translates to a room yet. So I need to dig a bit deeper into that. What is it Shakespeare wise? What feeling do I want to come across? What is something that combines Shakespeare and mission? Because I don't just kind of want to set it on a Verona balcony. Maybe I do. Maybe that's awesome. Ooh. I'm not sure. I haven't thought about that. That's the first time I've said that out loud. Maybe that's gotta, exactly what it'll end up being. You've got to solve puzzles to get Juliet out of her 
house in a way to go get married. Who knows? And she's like, oh, what? They've put, the Capulets have put a, have put a lock on this door and I got to solve it. Oh no. Exactly. It writes itself. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was really interesting that you had said at the beginning of this interview that you start with setting before narrative, but it sounds like in a way you also start with narrative because you start with the feeling that you're trying to evoke, which is part of the setting. So they Again, all sort of I think come that's, at once. I think that's, yeah, definitely slightly more the case for the connected arcs. I want that to start more with the emotional side of things, more than the exact rooms. And I think that's it because, yeah, for those, I absolutely try to come up with a story first and come up with some locations that feel like they are good vectors for that story. I never thought that hard about the difference between them, but for the standalone rooms, it is very much location first, 100%. We we also wanted to dig a little bit into the puzzle design aspect of this. (laughs) Where do you look for puzzle design inspiration? Oh, God. Um... So I've said it lots of times that, so I start with the setting, I come up with a story. The actual puzzles are the absolute last thing that I come up with. What I try to do, I talk about my arrowing method a lot. In my notes, I make a list of every item that is in the room, every object, and I start drawing arrows that make sense between them. I say, okay, what do I think this room will end with? Like, where do I see this room ending? Does it end with opening the door? Does it end with something else happening with one of the other objects like that? And then come up with a couple of starting points. And then I just start drawing arrows to say, oh, yeah, cool. So maybe we could start with uh, this rug on the floor and that will lead to this thing, which will have a branching thing. Oh, no, there's a lock here. Ooh, I think the clock could help you unlock that lock, that sort of thing. And then I try as best I can to not come up with discrete sort of puzzles by that I mean just things that could be just pulled out of a room and put into a new room like a crossword a sudoku that sort of thing the stuff that you never actually see in rooms Mm. anymore um but that feel just very much like puzzle puzzles they are just a puzzle that you might give to a person to do in their spare time or puzzles that you could attach to any sort of object yeah like Uh, yeah here's a puzzle I could just put that in any room Even if it's a good puzzle, like you could just stick it anywhere. Yeah. So the first puzzles that I try to come up with are things that come from the objects themselves. So again, that's why the setting is important and why I need to be able to visualize those objects so that I can start to see, cool, if you have a bed in this room, what could go wrong with this bed or what could be discovered about this bed? And I think I did that in Descent of the Culloden's. One of the things that I came up with was, cool, all right, very rich, fancy bed feathers are going to be in that bed, like all through it. Okay, what is something that can be related to feathers? So I will try to come up with that. And then by the end, people still like their processy puzzles and their puzzle puzzles, so there will be one or two still in there. And again, total last thing uh, that I can come up with. And when it comes up with things like that, I try to make them up as thoroughly as I can, but I don't think that you can help but be inspired by the other puzzles that you've done. And even though they tend not to fit greatly in escape rooms, I think a shocking amount of inspiration for me has actually come from puzzle hunts. 
not in that you put the puzzle hunt style puzzles in there because they're ridiculously complex, often involve a buttload of research and several hours. But a big thing that I love about puzzle hunts is that they are the sorts of puzzles where you look at them and on first glance, you don't have a clue what is going on. And so you have to stare for a moment and then something clicks and then suddenly process starts happening, things start working and it becomes a cascade of solving. And I really like that feeling. So I use inspiration from puzzle hunts about sort of learning how people's brains can click in that sort of way. Like, oh, people are going to see a bunch of colors. If I use this sort of wording and maybe put these clues hidden around the room, will it click for them? Will it click for them that those colors represent a flag, for example? Because in a puzzle hunt, you would just get colors. You wouldn't be told flag at all. You would have to use something else way more crazy subtle to figure that out. So in an escape room, you can manufacture, not manufacture, but you can push towards aha moments in the same way that puzzle hunts often have to do completely independently. And I really like that. So I think that puzzle hunts are a great place to take inspiration for aha puzzles. I think that it works well in your format as well, because you kind of hear people circling around a puzzle mm. and they kind of spiral into that aha moment. And then they kind of and then and then you hear them as the puzzle itself unravels back out. But I think it I think it works particularly well in your format. That's a relief. It's also the format works well for those sorts of things because you have effectively full sensory control of the people playing. Good point. You, you can, like, instead of needing to direct their eye by making sure that there's a lineup or there's lighting or something is, you know, you can just sort of say, you can use your words to create connections in people's brains. You can say, like we've talked about before, the idea of, like, if something, if there's one thing in the room that's consistently described as cylindrical subtly mm. every time they say it, like, oh, and there's, like, a little cylinder of blah, 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 and then when you find something later on, you go... And then you see there's a cylinder. They'll go, a cylinder? <laughs> I love cylinders. There was that earlier cylinder. And, then, and you, you, can, you can create, you have more control over how people make those connections mm. because you can really feed or you can say, this is how you feel. This is what you notice. This is what you hear. This is how you hear it. And so you have more control. So yeah. you, can, you can manufacture, again, not manufacture. It's a you weird can, word for you it. Can, but... You can control people's, like associations controlling that, aha moments is the most rewarding then, thing by that's far. why you can know that someone's going to pick up the gorilla because the gorilla <laughs> is described in a way that is purposeful and and makes sense even in a subtle way it's the same as people making a movie and knowing what you've noticed in in each shot because of how it's lit or how it's or what the framing is you think you can do of, the same thing in, um, in audio oh my god what's the movie called ran johnson ran johnson What's that movie called? Knives Out. Knives Out. That final scene of him reading a letter and Knives Out. Yeah. Like, can they have lovely control the the over, works there. over what's, yeah. Lovely Like, putting done. things where you have everything still or and Jeepers one thing Creepers. starts moving in the, yeah. Oh, that Jeepers Creepers moment. We were just watching moment. one of the opening oh. scenes from the movie Jeepers Creepers, which I have not seen and I have no intention of we watching the We just went, oh, cool, 2001 crappy horror. I remember watching that when I was, like, 10 years old. Let's see how terrible have, it was. They have a beautiful shot. If you've never seen this movie, you watch the opening and never watch anymore. But they have this beautiful shot where they're driving down the road and you can see the rest of the road just through their rear view mirror. Well, not their rear no, view mirror. Just um, the, the, between the their heads. Mirror, right? So between their heads, you can see the road behind them. 
And it starts as they're talking and they are not moving at all. They're just talking. You see a, a, like a camper van coming up behind them and it gets a little bit close and then turns off the road. And, but it, 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 ta- it like distracts your eye for a second. And you're like, cool. And so you've got this idea in your head now of things coming up the road. And then they continue on and they're now moving a little bit more animatedly. You can see them like talking and doing stuff. And so you focus on them. Meanwhile, there's a truck coming up really far in the distance on this road and you don't really notice it. But as they slow down in their movement and get back to normal talking, the truck has gotten just close enough that it starts to, the movement of it draws your eye and then it slowly fills up the whole frame and then it's right behind them. And it's, and it's just great. And the, 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 the way that movie, of it that scene controls your eye line is really, really good to look at because it's just this, and, and you do, and it's the same thing that you do in audio. I mean, that's the goal. And, and it's just, just it's, it's controlling people's attention in description. And often that's by making something small and not highlighting it. And they go, wait a minute, what was that extra thing that you said? And they kind of, and like, it's, it's, a, it's, and I think it's something that you've gotten, that you keep getting better at, but it's something you've always been quite good at in, in the way these are scripted and designed. <laughs> But it definitely, the guests may have a huge impact on that. Like, you can say that with the gorilla. I did plan for that. Did I know that you were going to work with it? No, not as well as you did. Like, you, I would, there was every chance that you never mentioned it again. And then in the conclusion, I would have to say, oh, by the way, and you remember that gorilla? Yeah, you've been carrying that around this whole time. But you did it. You worked. And again, you made a connection with that gorilla. That's what I wanted. (laughs) I love that gorilla. That's what everybody always wants <laughs> yeah. out of life. It, I mean, what it sounds like is you're kind of playing with the idea of, of, of Chekhov's gun is like if you, you have something totally. like visually important and interesting, you have to have a payoff for it. So it's like it's Chekhov's gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You set up a gorilla in Act 1, it has to fall <laughs> off a Ferris wheel in Act 3. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> One question that... I know I, I'm interested in a whole bunch of people have asked is um, how did Neil Patrick Harris end up on Escape This Podcast? Yeah, sure. That's a story. Yeah. Th- I mean, that was that was a funny one. So we um, we made a we made a list coming into that season, into season five. We thought, like, let's try and get like really like go after celebrities that would be like people really, that we know really are cool. puzzle and game people enthusiasts. We, yeah, people we know love puzzles. People, people we know love uh, escape rooms, and people that we really like would be, you know, amazing to work with. Uh, and we made this list, and we thought completely. Let's not think about practicality. Let's make a like best case scenario list of who would be the best people, even though we'll never be able to get in contact with these people at all. And the very first name on that list was Neil Patrick Harris because we. Are big fans of his. We know that he loves puzzles and magic and, es- and escape rooms and things like that. And so we thought, oh, like, yeah, top, top, he'd be great, a brilliant celebrity guest. And then we made this long, long list. And there's people there who I'd still love to try and, or in all of them, who I'd love to try and get on the show. Um, like, man, how good would like Tim Schafer be on the show? That'd how be super good cool. Be? It's phenomenal, right? But um, so we made, and he was literally the first name on this list. Uh, and then, you know, we went to bed. Then we closed that notebook closed where that I had written that down. And we made, and, you know. And we did then nothing. We did nothing with it because, like, that was, like, a future project sort of thing. And then, like, three days later. We just woke up in the morning. And we had an email. And we hadn't done anything. We hadn't contacted any of these people. We hadn't talked to anybody. We had an email three days later that said, NPH here. That was the title of the email. And, wait, what is this? <laughs> and then we opened it up and said, 
hey, you know, um, I, you know I'm Neil Patrick Harrison, uh, and I've been absolutely loving your show, and I was wondering if I could be a guest on your show. And we read that email. <laughs> and I went, Our oh, hearts kind fake. of froze, and then we went, why would someone fake this? Yeah. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, so, look, this is a weird trick to pull. Um, and then I went and, it's, and you know, jump, open up Twitter that morning and it was like, oh, at actually Neil Patrick Harris follows you on Twitter. Oh, okay. Went to Instagram and was like, oh, and at NPH follows you on Instagram. I was like, okay, so this is a real I email. I think this is real. All right. Well, we should probably what follow up happened? on this. But it was so weird that we had literally just written out a list of, of like ideal guests and he was number one. And then he just randomly said, hey, I'd love to be on your show. We um, have. And we weirdly, have had... we also have. Um, uh, in an odd way, we have Jason Ritter to thank for it <laughs> because apparently it was us getting Jason on the show that made Neil go, oh, well, if Jason Ritter can do it, I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason was absolutely one of the people who went, oh, we know that he is into this. We yeah, he should... was one of our he first is absolutely a cold like, contact we should like make. Absolute huge fan of Jason Ritter. Would love to try and get him on the show. No chance. Let's just send a tweet or something. Be like, hey, Jason, want to be on our show? And he was like, yes, I definitely do. Let's go. And that was the start of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, that was, which was lovely. We've done rooms in, in, when we were in LA, we did a room with him as well, just in, in real life. And uh, he's been on the show a few times as well. So, but yeah, no, Neil just sent us an email and said, hey, I want to be on your show. We thought, yeah, yeah that's fair. So if, if people are looking for tips about how to get guests oh, on their show, none. sorry. I've got none for you. <laughs> just, just make a show that is so perfect for a certain celebrity that they'll just find it anyway and love it. We can relate insofar as we have definitely gotten emails from people who are you know, famous in a way that is way over our pay grade. And <laughs> when when those emails come in, we're just like, wait, is this is is this for real? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's... How is your show different when you have a celebrity like NPH on the show? You know what? One of the things I'm really proud of, not at all. For sure. The only like the only difference is uh, the amount of willing, no, even that I was going to say willingness to stay up late to do the recording, but no, I, no, you just do that for a indie I, podcast trivia night. You stayed up to 4am recording. Absolutely. So, so no, even no, that's was, exactly the like, same. You know, you just, and again, like you get a cool celebrities or people that you, that you really love, uh, like huge, big podcasters and celebrities and, and I mean, actors. And it, you're just kind of like, well, look, you know. They're here to play a game. We're here to run the game. Yeah, I, I don't think, think it's played in any different way. The format makes it definitely work in that sort of way. Mm. Like a game is a game for everyone. Exactly, and so I, I think it runs pretty much the same. Except maybe I'll tweet about it more because they've got more people who care about those tweets. Mm. But huh. uh, but no, in terms of the gameplay, it plays exactly yeah. the same. In terms of the dirty, dirty marketing. It feels a little bit more important. Yeah, it's maybe important, more important from a marketing, a post-recording <laughs> marketing uh, perspective. But no, it's um, it 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 plays the same, which is lovely, right? And it's also indicative of the fact that like it's really nice that we haven't had like people on who are like, well, I'm important enough that I expect you to do it differently. They're just like, yeah, of course, I'm not engaged to with a game that you have made, and I want to play your mm. game. So no one's like coming up, like you know, no one's coming on the show and be like, uh, could you just change that all and do it my way? You know, could you give me brandos. all the answers in advance? There brandos on our show. <laughs> so what you're telling me is we're the only people who have ever demanded that you ship us from Australia <laughs> a whole box filled with M&Ms without the brown ones? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Gosh, now I feel like a total jerk. <laughs> 
You alluded to your latest season being one where the script has been flipped and mm -hmm. the two of you are now playing other people's audio escape rooms. Has this experience changed the way that you think about the process of writing and designing the games that will be in future seasons for you? Look, I'm hoping it won't change a crazy amount, but it is very interesting because we went out from, we just finished this entire season, recorded the whole thing. And so... My next room that I have to design is just a Christmas room, which are relatively standard, standalone, easy, lighthearted things. But I sat down to start writing that and I just sort of blanked because we had just had a season of people who have created one or in some cases a couple because they've made a cool hobby of it as well. Um, but they've spent a lot of time, a lot of effort on a single room and they have come up with something mind-blowing, something different. In a lot of cases, something meta as well. And I was just trying to sit down and write a normal one mm. and it definitely gave me that moment of pause of there is clearly a lot more that, or a lot different that I could be doing. There are a lot more avenues, as I can see, that people can explore that... Maybe either I should be or my mind isn't quite capable of. Am I set in a routine or are there other things that I should be doing? And it definitely caused a lot more questions to show up. So fingers crossed that will come to some sort of resolution. There'll be some sort of snap moment where that, that just resolves itself in some way. But it's definitely made me think a lot more about trying not to fall into a formula but also not change things up for the sake of changing things up and it's an interesting balance so it's made me a lot more aware of that what do you think i don't know i think it's interesting as well because in general most of the people who've written these are doing so in what is like as an emulation of the games that you make like like because, because, like, well, I think it comes with the fact that you, like, we were, we were the first people to start doing these types of games, and the people who are writing these games for us are fans of our show. So even when they're meta, they're often meta in ways that are, like, subversions of your themes deliberately because your themes are the standard for how these things are done. Sure, but once your own standard has been subverted, what do you do next? <laughs> Just do it again. Um, but also, like, it's, it's interesting, like, especially, I think, like... Um, like Scott, we had Scott Weiss back on the show mm. to do another room and, and he's run a guest room for us before. Uh, and his rooms very much feel like, uh, I feel like they feel very similar to your rooms in early seasons. Not as in, in, in any difference in quality, but in like in, in a focus on the way you put puzzles together. And so it's kind of like, oh, this is like, oh, it feels like going back and doing a, a Children of My Cyrus room, you know, in, in, in the way the clues came together in, in really interesting ways. And like, other rooms have this feeling of, of the way you've done stuff before. And again, we, because we've had people who say like, oh, I designed this room after listening to the episodes that we released detailing your method for coming up, coming up with rooms and, and how you draw, draw out the room and you do the arrows and you come up. People are saying like, I just followed your procedure to come up with like this really cool room. And they come up with these great and inventive rooms um, and they spend a lot of time working on these really interesting ideas. Uh, but then doesn't that weird you out, like saying, oh, cool, maybe I just created a method yeah. as opposed to 
like being a cool person at designing stuff who can come up with the cool designs. Maybe <laughs> I just came up with the cool designing method that other people can use to great effect. I mean, that would make sense if your rooms weren't also very good rooms that have been used to great effect. Like if you didn't design escape rooms, yeah, maybe, but you keep designing more rooms. So I don't know if you can make that argument. Um, but so, so that's kind of an interesting aspect as well. But, but in that people have definitely been doing different things. Um, so I think it's cool to look at how they work, but it, I feel like it's rare with these to feel like they've come at it from a whole different place. Um, and so it's not like you need to like, think, oh, maybe I should be designing this way. Because I think in general, people are designing in a way that it's similar to yours. Potentially. Tommy being the huge Not Tommy. exception Tommy's there. wild. But I don't that's know it. Listening to Tommy's process, did. I know that his process can't possibly work for, work for me. I can't do the things final that room way. Is, uh, it's phenomenal. It is not something that I can do. Yeah, it hasn't really yeah, Again, yet. it's one of those things that makes you think, why isn't that something that I can mm. do? Would that be a good idea? Because I loved it. You wouldn't be able to do Tommy's method of design because of just any kind of self-consciousness. I mean, that too. Yeah. Uh, we talked yeah. about it in the episode. Tommy's desire process to be like, hey, this room's terrible. Play it. And then I'll make it better later. Over and over and over again forever until it's good. And uh, <laughs> that's, that requires a level of like, I don't even know what that requires. <laughs> Self-assurance, but also the willingness to be like, yeah, this doesn't work. This is going to go terribly. Let's do it. Then it'll be good afterwards. Mm. Uh, his design process is completely different from from anything that Danny does, but I don't think you have the, I don't think we like, I don't think that's a design process that works for us. <laughs> Obviously works brilliantly for Tommy. All right. So we have, um, we've, most of the questions that have been submitted, um, we've kind of just worked into our interview, but there's one from a, a guy named Jim and he has a really interesting question, which is who's your favorite guest designer so far and why is it Jim Fishwick? Weird choice. <laughs> oh, Jim. <laughs> well, I will say, was that the first meta one that we did? Ooh, like in terms of a meta about the show, kind of weird meta. Yeah, I suppose. Or, or Dave did a meta escape room, like set no, in an yeah, escape room maybe one. Dave's is the it first was pretty meta close. One where he came in, but and... yeah, Jim's was the first one that felt like it was highlight. I felt highlighted in a way, <laughs> and that was terrifying. And there was improv in that room, and I felt like a moron because. Of course, I did everything that I do in improv. I totally froze. Yeah, no, uh, but the Jim's Jim's room was 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 lovely because it was it was that first feeling of like I'm gonna get you <laughs> with this room. It felt like it was designed it without wasn't like... not in any sort of mean spirited way or even potential to be taken as a mean spirited way. No, but <laughs> it was, it was just... like designed at us. <laughs> you know, it was, wasn't even designed right. for us. It was designed at us. That's a good uh, point. And that... it was, and that was a really fun experience. Um, for people who haven't heard Jim's room, go back and listen to it. It's really great. It's the I think it's just called like Escape This Podcast, Escape This Podcast, because uh, it, it's it's like uh, it's it's very fun. Um, that was a great room. But we weren't talking like the question wasn't about the room. The question about was about the designer. You're my favorite designer, Danny. <laughs> um, no, it's. <laughs> I, it's been really interesting. I mean, I, I still love the fact that, like, we had that very first room uh, by Dave Anspach, like, before we'd even talked about, like, uh, other people, hey, why don't you design rooms? Here's our episode of the room design. Like, while we were part with our first season, to get an email that said, I have done one, can I run it for you? It was, it was really like, exciting. It like, was like hearing that you've had fan fiction made of yourself. 
Yeah, it, it was. It was like, hey, I've done. It's like, it's a fanfic of your show. Like, that was a really exciting moment. So that was kind of, that's always going to feel really lovely. And, and then uh, Dave came back and did his other room, uh, which was really fun as well. And that was, again, like our first sort of meta escape room based <laughs> escape room. Uh, but everyone's been lovely. Like, having mm. everyone on. Um, it's, it's been fun. Um... Jim in particular, because Jim is an occasional submitter of questions to the show Only Connect, which we love watching. So and so we now just look at his names in the credit. God, and if Jim. if there's a bad question, we blame him, it's even if, even if it probably wasn't him. You've written a bad question for Only Connect, Jim. How dare you? But it's nice. And it's, I think it's always fun to get return guests. I think that's always really nice. Like having a guest on once is, is lovely. And I, but I think as soon as someone returns, it's like, oh, yeah, like we're... We're, we're, we're part of this. We're in this now. Like we have another room <laughs> from Jen McTague later this season, mm. and that's really lovely. And I think it's just fun to see. I think when, when someone brings you a room, you get this beautiful insight into like, like them and their puzzles and all this fun stuff. And then when someone brings you a second room, it's like, ooh, we get to do this again. We get to see like what else you have going on or what mm. you or like, can you top you? And I think that's a really fun experience. Yeah, so what I'm saying cool. is, write us another room, Jim. <laughs> but no, I like I like all our guests equally. Boo. You're all my favorite children. Well, that was a super fun interview. I feel like I learned a ton about your design. Oh god, process. really? And <laughs> I, my brain guests. just went blank, but okay. Your your brain may have gone blank, but your mouth was moving and it was saying <laughs> intelligent and interesting things. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, no, this was this was a ton of fun. Thank you for allowing us to hijack your podcast with an interview. No, look, it was great. Now, the other reason you're hijacking the show now is so that more people will go and attend the premiere online escape room of the the, the, the best one of the year. Because as you can see from this episode, behind the scenes stuff of escape rooms can come from wildly different perspectives. Yeah, like and it's talking so about interesting rooms, sometimes. You can learn things by talking and listening to other people talk that you didn't know yeah. happened. So do you do you, do you want to like spend some time talking about recon? We would love to. In fact, if you have made it this far into this episode, there is zero reason why you should not be attending recon because you're a nerd like us. And and recon <laughs> is an event for you. It's the Reality Escape Convention and it is free, digital, entirely online. So you can attend from the comfort of home. Um, it is August 23rd and 24th. It might be different if you're in Australia. Time yeah, zones it's probably are not 24th and 25th here. So. <laughs> That's true. That's very fair. But it's um, okay. You'll... It might be at a slightly awkward hour if you're in Australia, but you can still attend from the comfort of home. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't even have to wear pants. And no one <laughs> needs to be keeping regular business hours now. Stay up till 4 a.m. What do I do? Yeah, so we're really excited about this event. We've got uh, tons of people giving different presentations on all different aspects of escape rooms, from the design process to the process of playing them and running them, different influences uh, for the escape room industry, and people talking about where the industry is now in 2020. So a huge variety of content for players, for owners, for game designers, for people who create products for this industry, uh, a lot of different ways to engage with the content. I think one of the, one of the sets of speakers that I think 
your audience in particular will love is uh, the, the folks from Sweet Baby Inc., who are, it's a trio, it's a small business out of Montreal, and what they do is they are nar- narrative designers for the video game industry. They consult oh. around with very big uh, studios like Ubisoft and Rocksteady and Square Enix. They've been all over the place, and they are incredibly knowledgeable. And I recorded a two-hour interview with them, and I'm going currently going through the painstaking process of editing down to 40 minutes because that's how long our <laughs> sessions are. Um, but I think we're probably going to end up releasing a super cut or a whole bunch of bonus content from this because we covered so much fun ground. Uh, but what we one of the things we tried to do is bring in people from tangentially related fields uh, that we felt could spice up the conversation around mm, the escape absolutely. room world. Now, you said Rocksteady, right? In that yes, list? Yes, I did. I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, that's exciting. Look, I, it's it's going to be a very cool event. I remember we've been sort of talking with you sin- like about it since it was, you know, a physical thing that people were going to actually go to. In a year's time. And, and, Before and the apocalypse happened. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, look, it's... It's very exciting, and it's really cool for everybody that it's a free event uh, that they can attend. So, look, yeah, if you're listening, this just you can register to say I'm going to attend. There's a link in the show notes, just under that picture that they made me link. Um, and for whatever <laughs> time you can offer for it, it's absolutely a great idea. There's an amazing feeling that comes with going to a convention if you're not typically a convention person the being surrounded even if it's not physically by like-minded people just people who are happy at the same things that make you happy <laughs> it feels really it's nice it's for for us going to these types of things and we've gone to other conventions all over the place in the escape room industry and it you know, when we even when we talk to our families, like they don't really like they'll go and they'll play an escape room with us once a year or so, but they don't get it. And they're kind of like, why? Why has this consumed your life? And it's <laughs> just really nice to spend time with people who don't ask you that question. And they, <laughs> you know, they, they, they just they get it like you get it. And they just want to talk about the thing that you're passionate about. And even though it is online this year, there's still going to be a lot of opportunity for conversation through different formats. Mm. So the the recon team has done a phenomenal job building out the infrastructure to make this possible. So you will still get that feeling of the people being there with you and the ability to talk to them and nerd out about the same stuff. <laughs> it's going to be hosted in Discord Every single talk will have its own text chat. We have other channels that are voice and video chat, so you can go and have conversations with people. We have a spot where you can go and play games with people. We have a virtual ex- uh, exhibit hall where you can actually interact and you know with the with the exhibitors. And we have exhibitors who are showing off wares, everything ranging from the business to business stuff that escape rooms need to the things types of things that people who like escape this podcast and like playing escape rooms in general will will enjoy all sorts of play at home stuff and things that you can have fun with whether you're still locked in your home or not and what i will (laughs) add also is uh, we are really excited about what we've been able to do with discord to have conversation but if you are terrified of discord you can watch all of the featured talks without ever entering discord so it's the oh, best of both that's worlds. a lovely option 
The the other thing is that if you're a little worried, that's okay. The, for the whole week leading up to to recon, we're going to have office hours in Discord where you can join and we will be there to help you through the process. You can come, you can hang out, we'll chat, and we'll just get you comfortable with the mechanics of of, of using our digital venue. We really are committed to making sure that people can feel comfortable and at home in recon, and that just extends to you know adding tons of time to just sitting there waiting for people to sign in so we can help them. That's we fantastic. That's that the community is really important. Yeah, that's excellent, and it's very perceptive because there are definitely some things out there that ha- don't think about those sorts of things. So that's really lovely. Thanks. Yeah, we we're doing our best. We realize that the the value, as you were talking about, the value of a convention is the community that you have, and so we wanted to structure this in a way where yes, it's going to be digital, but we still want to have that feeling of presence and that feeling of serendipity of just meeting someone who you never would have otherwise met, and you have this you have so much in common because you already have this thing that you both love. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and and asking us. Dumb questions that were actually very smart questions with dumb answers that were actually very smart answers. Uh, so thank you. That was lovely. Thank you so much for having us. It's been great. So yeah. fun. Wonderful. So there are links below to all the recon stuff. I'm not going to give you my usual spiel because it's a bonus episode. So you, we can just say goodbye. So thank you everybody for listening. I hope that was a fun uh, uh, insight into kind of some behind the scenes escape this podcast stuff. <laughs> Uh, So wonderful. Thank you, everybody. And thank you so much for, for asking the questions. Bye, everybody.